All right, everybody, good morning. It is very close. It is an ish of 10.30, so we are going to get started because that's the time we say we're going to get started. Um, so I want to welcome you here this morning. My name is Karina. I'm part of the leadership team here at The Bridge, and um, we are super excited that you're here. Hello to everybody on Zoom. Um, now, easy breezy question that you can share in community, gather up in like threes or fours. If you are introverted and feeling it this morning, no need to answer. You're allowed to just listen. Just hand up pass. That's totally allowed when we do this. Um, but the question for today is, how do you feel when thinking about the future? So like when I think about the future, I often feel really hopeful and uh, my ideas kind of go crazy and I'm always like we could do this we could go there what would this look like how could we make this better so um, I have to work really hard to not get myself like three three steps ahead of everybody else and and that is like future is like oh, open possibility but that's not everybody's orientation towards it. So I'm curious if you will pull up into groups of three or four and just share what, what feelings come up for you when you think about the future. All right, and go. So I'm just gonna pray for Casey. God, I just thank you for Casey and the word that he's going to bring to us this morning. Thank you that he is a part of our community. And I just bless him to speak the word that you've um, put on his heart. And thank you that you are alive in him. And I pray that we would just all sense the life of God in him and in one another this morning as we listen. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Josh, what's that, uh, what's that thing you wanted me to say this morning? Death comes, death comes unexpectedly? Oh, I didn't shake my finger enough. Okay, next time. <laughs> so good morning. Uh, it's nice to be... <laughs> it's, from, it's from a movie. It's from the movie Pollyanna. And he, was, he accosted me before service and told me that I should say this before we start. No, I'm just joking. Sorry, Josh. No, I'm not sorry. It's funny. It's nice to be here with all of you this morning. Um, for any who haven't met me, my name is Casey. My wife and I have been here for a little bit over a year. And we were talking with, um, with the group that we had circled with this morning that, um, that I think even for us, it still, still feels like a new group. We, um, because we've been on Zoom, we haven't really met in person that much still feel like there's a lot of people that while we recognize faces there's a lot of people we don't really know and so we're looking forward to being able to get to know people a little bit more as we gather a little bit more in person so when Eden asked me to preach share talk whatever you want to call it I had a few passages to choose from um, we are doing our whole year and is it gonna be the next three years perhaps out of this out of a Women's lectionary, what is it called again? Women's lectionary for the whole church. And so there's about four passages that we have to choose from. And so I decided to choose the gospel passage in John. And before I get into my talk, I just wanted to kind of line up what I'm going to talk about. So 
the passage is John chapter 5, verses 25 to 29. And it was sort of, a, it was sort of an interesting one as I read it, um, because it seemingly talks about dead people hearing the voice of Jesus and coming back to life, um, which in sort of my old way of thinking, the way that I thought before I started reorient, reorienting some of my beliefs, that probably would have been a really easy thing to talk about. Um, but, well, I guess you'll have to see. At first I thought, what am I going to share about? And with that, it actually got me started thinking about all the way back to my childhood, almost as, I was in, as if I was in a therapy session with myself. So I thought, I was thinking about childhood anxiety um, about the afterlife. And about adult anxiety is about the unknown future and my desire to be fully content in the present moment. So that's what I'm going to attempt to do with this, with this one scripture. It's going to be highly anecdotal. I, I'm going to tell a couple stories, um, and then I'm going to sort of weave it together with the scripture. So here I go. So when I was a child, I was taught, as probably many in this room were taught, that when you die, you either go one of two places. You can go, A, to heaven, which is this beautiful place. Literally, we were told the streets are paved with gold. There's no sickness, no suffering, nothing out of place. You know, it's like that, it's like that house that you might go to of that person that there seems to be no dust anywhere. But that, that's everything. So everything's perfect. There's no sin. Um, yeah, there's nothing out of place. The question was always kind of what do we do when we're there, but depending on who you asked, it was kind of like, well, I don't, I don't really know. It's just, it's just good. Hell, though, was this, was this place that you really didn't want to go. So we've heard it described as a, a lake of fire. We've, we've heard words and, and sermons about weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, when I was a kid, I definitely didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what, I still don't really know if I know what gnashing of teeth is, but, um, but that's what I was told. Constant pain, anger, sorrow, sin, only hatred. There was nothing good about it. You really didn't want to go there. I also believe that one day, hopefully before death, that there would be this rapture that would take us all away from this earth. Um, but some, the Christians that maybe weren't quite good enough, and the people that weren't Christians, would be left to endure this, this sort of, these sort of final wars before the end of all things. Um, we've heard words like... Um, apocalypse and rap and um, Armageddon and, and all things like that. So that was a big part of my childhood as well. Add to that this view of if I'm out of relationship through unconfessed sin, even if I'm a Christian, that I'll also be one of those ones that if I die, I might not go to heaven. If this rapture thing happens, I might be one of the ones that doesn't get to be taken up away from this earth. So, due to my personality, this meant late nights of not being able to sleep as a kid. I was begging God, literally, to forgive me. Because I was scared that if this happened, I was scared that literally I was going to wake up in the morning and my family was going to be gone. And, yeah, it was, it was obviously a very um, scary thing for me. So, I, I've reflected on this more than once, and I've wondered where this all came from. I used to, and maybe sometimes still do, uh, blame bad theology and just bad teaching. And maybe some of it is that. But I think maybe there's a little bit more to it than that. Recently, I've been reflecting on how death and afterlife seems to be something that 
many, if not most people, religions, cultures, have developed some form of belief or tradition around. There is the odd person that you'll talk to that, and maybe more and more, that, that are starting to, to think maybe a little bit more uh, rationally about it. So there was a philosopher by the name of Epicurus that said this. He said, foolish, therefore, is the man who says he fears death, because it will pain when it comes, not because it will pain when it comes, but because it pains in the prospect. Whatsoever causes no annoyance when it is present causes only a groundless pain in the expectation. Stephen Hawking, another man who was, who was widely known as, as being more of a rationalist, he said that he believes the brain is like a computer that will simply just shut off. And there's no heaven or the afterlife for broken down computers. That's a fairy story for, for people afraid of the dark. But yet, it seems that most people I know think or feel there's something after death. Even if we can't quite quantify it, even if we don't know when we have those halos and we're sitting on the clouds, what we're actually going to be doing. You know, we've heard the things of, you know, we're just going to sing all the time, which for every musician out there probably sounds incredibly boring. Um, we don't really know. And we even have cliche sayings that we use, um, I think, to give comfort. And, and I think that maybe it does give comfort to some. We have cliche sayings we use when someone dies, especially if we, if we knew that they were religious. We, we say things like, they've gone on to be with the Lord. They've gone home. They're with the angels. They're in a better place. They're at peace. Again, thinking that these things might bring a little bit of comfort, even if we don't actually know um, what that might look like. And it's not just the Christian-influenced West. It's not simply a modern problem. This is something that we've, if you read any historical writings, we've seen this over and over. Um, in, in Eastern religions, um, there's, there's beliefs more around things like reincarnation and rebirth. Uh, in the Christian West, we, we have heaven and hell, and in some of the more offshoots, we have um, we have celestial planets and things like that. In the Norse belief, they had Valhalla, which was a hall of heroes, where people would feast with Odin, awaiting, again, the end of all things, Ragnarok. The ancient Romans, who believed that there was this underworld sort of place that you, that you would go, but, and that not only were your deeds important, but also your status in life was important. So if you were rich, you already, like, if you were rich and important, if you were a soldier, if you, if you were one of the people that was respected, you, you had it better. Uh, in Judaism, again, the beliefs are varied, and I don't want to try and believe that every, every uh, culture or religion has just one thing that they think. But they believe that we live on through our children and our grandchildren. Um, so, so we all, all these traditions, we all have these different ways of seeing it. When I was younger, I used to think that my views as a Christian were totally logical. And the others, like reincarnation or Valhalla or the celestial planets, they were all just silliness. Um, certainly, because I was the one that had the right views, those were the only ones that were logical. There are many views, and there's a reason, I think, that it appears logical. I think that we seem to, and we've talked about this a lot in this community, we seem to crave certainty and having answers. And maybe that's a modern problem, but I mean, I haven't lived in those times, but I, I sort of doubt that, that wanting to have certainty is, is completely a modern problem. 
we, we raise our kids with these mentalities. What do you want to be when you grow up? Where do you see yourself in a year, three years, five years? That's, that's any interview you've ever been in. How many children do you want? Can we afford it? We were talking about that in our, in our roundtable this morning. The greatest uncertainties, I believe, surround the future. And death is perhaps the greatest mystery or the greatest uncertainty of all. So to me, it makes total sense why religious belief tries to answer this question. Because perhaps it's the thing that we are the most uncomfortable with. Especially once we learn that the, we've already learned and we've already decided the answer to life, the universe, and everything is 42. Yes. So the only thing that's left then is what happens when, you, when we die. So perhaps that's why as a child I had such worry and anxiety about death and afterlife. I would go through this cycle where once I would be certain enough that I was a Christian again, I would be good, at least until the next time that I wasn't certain again, where maybe I sinned, I did something bad, and I wasn't sure that I was going to heaven again. So it was sort of this rinse and repeat thing where I had to make sure, I had to make sure, I had to make sure. So which brings me to the passage in John. Before I get there, let me explain there's a little bit too much to fully explain, so let me just sum it up. <laughs> Jesus is in, is in Jerusalem in John chapter 5 for a Jewish festival. He's at the pool called Bethesda. He finds a disabled person and asks if he wants to get well. As a side note, I would, have loved to, I would love to sometimes speak on the topic of how poorly people with disabilities are represented in Scripture. It's such an interesting thing, and I've been, I've been hearing a lot more about it. And, but anyways, that's, that's a side note. So Jesus ends up healing this guy. Um, the Jewish leaders, I mean, we can, we can expect this by this point. They're mad. They're upset with him. Jesus, don't you know it's the Sabbath? Don't you know that this is an important time? You're not supposed to be doing anything that's considered work. Jesus stokes their fire by saying that, no, it's all good. I'm with God. He's my father. We're partners. You know, we're equals. Jesus tells them, both God and me never stop working. Don't you know this? Even on holidays. He sort of says, trust me, I'm with God. And then he gets to this next part. So this is the, the text that I'm going to read from. John 5, verse 25 to 29. So it says, very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge, because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. And those who have done what is good will rise to live. Those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. So I want to take you a little bit through my thought process as I was trying to prepare. So first, sort of the automatic thing that still comes to me when I read scripture is the way I was raised. So the simple. Okay, there's a good place, there's a bad place. You know, you want to rise to life, you don't want to rise to condemnation. I tried to push that thought aside. And then I asked, how can I make this scripture be all about the good place? Couldn't do that. So then I asked the question, why was Jesus always disturbing stuff? Why couldn't he just answer a question with a simple answer? And that's something I often wonder. I don't know if any of you wonder that. It's something I wonder all the time. Why couldn't he just answer a question? 
Then another question that I ask is, why does he always have to talk in Scripture? And why does Scripture in general always talk so dualistically, as if there's either one way or another way? You're either good or evil. I mean, I think in this community, at least from people I've talked to, there's a lot of us that believe that, no, we're not just good or we're not just evil. We're, we have bits of both in our lives. I might have been able to pull off a sermon about what Jesus was actually talking about here, but I'm not really sure if I fully understand why he went on this tangent. I can, I can see parts of it, but I don't fully understand it. And again, my mind took me somewhere completely different. After reflection, this whole thing got me thinking about the first story that I told you about being a child and not being able to go to sleep. The point of it that I'm able to distill it down to is what happens upon death is part of the unknown future. So I want to tie in another story. So eventually, at a certain point, I don't know exactly when, but I stopped worrying about death and what happens when I die. I don't know if I just listened to enough people like Rob Bell um, saying, it's okay, everyone gets to go to heaven. I don't really know how, but it, it happens. Don't get me wrong, I love that way of thinking. That is, that's largely the way that I think. I think that everything works out in the end um, and that Jesus act of redemption was for everyone. So don't, don't worry that, you know, I'm off to the left somewhere. <laughs> Eventually, though, again, like I said, I stopped worrying about death. What I didn't stop being anxious about was the idea of this uncertain or the unknown future. And it would be interesting to know how different people approach their own futures, and that's why I posed the question during the roundtable. I wonder if perhaps our approach to death and afterlife is similar to our approach about the future. If you're the kind of person who sees the future as full of exciting possibilities, maybe, I don't, I don't know, but maybe you'd be less likely to be worried and anxious when it comes to things like the afterlife. It's hard for me to know since I don't think that matches my personality, as, as you can tell from my first story. I grew up thinking there was one call of God on my life, a path, I guess. If I was on anything other than that super narrow little path, I was out of this will of God for my life. This meant that if I was in the wrong career or even in the wrong job within the right career, that nothing in my life would work out as well as if, it, as if I was where I was supposed to be. So after I graduated university, I began a career as an accountant. So. While it was something that I was pretty good at, I was never really that passionate towards it the way that I was, again, supposed to be towards my career. So after about seven years of schooling to become a professional accountant, combined with about four years of working in the field, and I felt really uncertain that this is what I wanted to do until, um, until I retired. I can still remember it quite clearly. My wife and I had taken a group of teenagers on a service slash cultural exchange trip to Bolivia and upon returning to work, I got in this deep place of feeling really apathetic towards my career. And not even just like, I don't want to go to work today, but it was like this deep sense of like, this is really not what I want to be doing. I can still remember how paralyzed I felt. So if accounting wasn't going to be my future, I needed to figure out what it was that God wanted from me. So as a good evangelical, I got down... Uh, into some serious time of prayer and was asking God, what do you want from me? At the time, I thought that 
what was the right next step for me was working in, in a church ministry context. So I spent the next two years working for my church in sort of a pastoral slash church coordinator slash whatever they wanted me to do role. Much of that time, I still felt uncertain and anxious about the future. And honestly, much of the time, even now, that I think too much about the future, the more uncertain it seems, the more anxious I, I find that I become. So if I go back to John 5, thinking about it in the context of my story, I might ask some different questions. I might ask, what else might Jesus be talking about here rather than what happens when we die? Because Jesus says, not only is the time coming, but he says, the time is now come. He's not, he's not speaking this to, to a bunch of graves. He's speaking it to people that are in front of him. So in the greater context of the whole story, could Jesus be saying more than one thing, depending on the listener? If the man who is sick is listening to him, the man that he cured and healed, I mean, one thing that I've learned about, about cultures, especially um, ancient cultures around, around the time that Jesus was alive. This man was largely dead by society standards. He was an outcast. People didn't think, he couldn't even get someone to help carry him to this, to this pool that was going to magically heal him. So he was, he was largely dead. So if he was listening in, were Jesus' words to him actually really life-giving? The religious elites who were judging this whole thing and, and coming down hard on Jesus and coming down hard on this man for picking up his mat and walking. Is this message about rising to judgment some sort of way of calling them out for being so harsh towards, towards both of them? For someone like me, who's disconnected from this time, the message I was hearing was, is my fear of the future keeping me from living fully in the present lest I get it wrong? So let's go back to where I am now. So I both got and still get a, a little bit exhausted at times trying to figure out my future because there's still a part of me that wants to know that everything will work out in a specific way. I know that I don't want to be an accountant forever, but maybe it's fine for now. I don't always love the profession that I'm in, but I'm lucky to work for, for an organization uh, that cares for people with, with disabilities. And I have some other opportunities opening up on the horizon that, that aren't accounting, but enable me to keep my job, which, which is a good thing for someone that doesn't really like risk. So I've been trying to find contentment in my present. I meet semi-regularly with the spiritual director, which has been really helpful. We do, we do a lot of um, sort of silent practice, embodiment practice, and that's been really helpful. I'm working on reintegrating silence and certain... Uh, centering practice back into my routine. The hard part for me is not keeping score, not being competitive about it even with myself, just allowing it as it comes. Walking is another one for me, whether in nature or even on the sidewalk, just with, uh, with a podcast in the background is something that I enjoy doing. But to be honest, much of the time it just sort of happens, and I don't realize that I was, in fact, living in the moment because I was living in the moment. It's easy to do when everything's going well, but not so easy to do when I'm in a cycle of worrying and anxiety. I'd love to hear the things that have worked for you to remain fully present or at least partially present. So even as I've spoken this morning about anxiety, it's, it's interesting because 
I was preparing for this talk about worry and anxiety. And this morning is one of, I don't usually get, I usually, you know, some, some normal jitters before you speak or before you get up in front of a group. But this morning, my anxiety levels were off the charts. It's crazy. <laughs> so I want to be clear that I don't want to minimize anyone else's experience with anxiety, just like I don't want to minimize my own experiences. I've known it to be very real for me at times in my life. And as I talked about it this morning, also no, I said I was an accountant. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a miracle worker. And while medication hasn't been something that I've gone into, or that I've approached with my anxiety, I know that it can help many. I've been able to process some of my own anxiety with therapists, with spiritual director, um, through some of my own internal work, through processing with family and friends. But I'm also at the point where now I can completely own that the struggles with anxiety that I have, that other people have, they're completely okay. They don't mean that we have weak, that we have little, that we have lesser faith. I still don't know, the question still remains, why Jesus always spoke in such riddles. And, and that's something that I have to ponder some more. I think it's also a good thing because it, it helps us to, to read into the story and let it speak to us in, in the moments that we're in. I'm glad we can read his words together in hopes that we can understand and know him a little bit more. So I'd love to hear from you, whether you have a question or story, thought or response, and we're going to hand it over. So as we leave, I want to leave you with a benediction by, written by Jan Richardson called This Day We Say Grateful. It's a strange thing to be so bound and so released all in the same moment, to feel the heart open wide and wider still, even as it turns to take its leave. On this day, let us say this is simply the way love moves in its ceaseless spiraling, turning us toward one another, then sending us into what waits for us with arms open wide to us in welcome and in hope. On this day, in this place where you have poured yourself out, where you have emptied and filled and emptied again, may you be aware more than ever of what your heart has opened to here, what it has tended and welcomed here, where it has broken in love and in grief, where it has given and received blessing in the unfathomable mystery that moves us, undoes us, and remakes us finally for joy. This day, May you know blessing that gathers you in and sends you forth, but will not forget you. Oh, hear us as this day we say grace. This day we say grateful. This day we say blessing. This day we release you in God's keeping and hold you in gladness and love. Amen. Have a great week, friends. See you, Zoom friends. <laughs>